You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Doug Mensch, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello once again, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Godzilla Episode 2, covering a period of Godzilla from 1978 to 1979. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Godzilla host, Mike Russo. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the second half of the Godzilla series for Marvel Comics. This is Godzilla number 12 to 24. And then at the very end, we're going to touch on a few other issues like from Iron Man and, and, and The Thing. So uh, maybe stick around for uh, the end of our conversation as well. Um, we did a lot of our intro last time, and I played a clip from uh, an, an interview with Doug Mensch. And I just want to start this episode playing another clip, and then I'm going to ask you a question, Mike. Uh, so let's hear from Doug first. I always wonder if you have to run stuff by the Saks Romer estate when you're working with licensed properties like this. Did they care? I know that Star Wars cared. Uh, I tell you, people ask me this question all the time. And I've done, okay, I've done the Fu Manchu, I've done James Bond, I've yep. done Godzilla, Shogun Warriors, Planet of the Apes, right. and, you know, a few others. I was never, ever asked to redo anything by anyone, ever. Okay. And as far, I don't even know if they had to get these things approved, right? I Okay, with James Bond, I know they did run it by uh, Ian Fleming's estate, and I don't know if the Planet of the Apes people really even read the stuff. I don't know uh, about the Godzilla stuff. Nobody, nobody ever said anything, and I was never asked to change anything. Well, that's good. That makes your I job mean, way easier then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have quit if, you know, it became a constant nightmare. But, with, you know, there were ground rules up front. I mean, like when, when we did Godzilla. Okay. We have the rights to Godzilla, but not to anything else. You can't, you can't do Ghidra or Rodan or anything. You, none of that. Make up your own monsters like that, and I did, you know. And uh, what, you know, if, as long as I followed the ground rules, it, apparently they didn't care. So my question to you, Mike, is: uh, in the last episode, you mentioned just on an uh, on the aside that Toho is difficult to work with. What does that mean exactly? Well, difficult an understatement when we're talking about Toho. Um, yeah, they're very difficult to deal with. When it comes to Godzilla, they consider all the other characters in the Godzilla movies, uh, Mothra, Rodan, King Ghidorah, Mechagodzilla, to be as important as Godzilla when it comes to how much you have to pay for them. Oh, really? Um, oh, man. Getting, the, getting the, the license for Godzilla does never automatically guarantee the other monsters. Marvel couldn't get anybody else but Godzilla. Hanna-Barbera couldn't get anybody else but Godzilla. Uh, the Dark Horse comics of the 90s couldn't get anybody else but Godzilla. That's why it was a really big deal in the mid-90s when the Treadmaster Toy Company 
finally started putting out some Godzilla toys and the other monsters were in there, they yeah. have to pay for all of those individually. Getting Godzilla doesn't mean you get everybody else. Huh. And yeah. it's not just that. Toho can be very difficult more these days. Uh, back then, obviously not. Um, with how Godzilla is treated, they have... I don't know how much things have changed in the past decade or so um, with the Legendary Pictures films, but back in the 90s and early 2000s, they were very specific about how Godzilla would be treated. He has to have this many fingers. He has to have this many toes. He has to look exactly this way. You can't kill him. Um, I know when IDW put out the comics, um, covers had to get sent back because a pinky was drawn incorrectly. Oh, man. <laughs> they probably weren't as picky about that kind of stuff in the 70s then because Godzilla goes through a lot of visual changes. Yeah. Um, they've gotten picky. They got pickier in the 90s and early early 2000s. I, I think they've lightened up a little bit, but I think that's because Godzilla as a character has changed so much in the past decade. Yeah. Um, Godzilla fans listening will should be familiar with Shin Godzilla. Um, that's really different take on Godzilla that Toho wouldn't have done 25 years ago. There's been anime Godzillas now. The legendary pictures Godzilla is a little bit different. Yeah. So yeah, well, definitely in the 70s though, you couldn't get the other monsters, but you could pretty much do what you wanted with Godzilla and. Marvel definitely did what they wanted with Godzilla, as we're going to see <laughs> in this episode, for sure. So these 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 issues, 12 to 24, I had such a blast. I mean, there's a little dip in kind of in the middle here. But um, once mm -hmm. we get past that, the, the last half of these, like the last six or seven or whatever it is of these these stories, I was quite shocked that it actually read like a really nice graphic novel. It was an overarching story and it was exciting and there's just stuff happens and I love the ending. It's like I um the, the the first half of it, while it was fun, was very disjointed in the concepts and they were kind of like finding their footing. But I feel like once they get past this uh, space saga and maybe the, the, the cowboy saga that they really started to take off and unfortunately Unfortunately, it was a little too, too late. I also feel like in these last few issues, they got really comfortable using their own characters. Yeah, and I think it worked to their benefit. I really did because it provided a good backdrop for uh, for storytelling. And Doug Mensch, who would be very familiar with these characters, like he just slotted them in, and all of a sudden, uh, he didn't have to create any new characters uh, because you know the Avengers and the Fantastic Four or have already existed for a long time. So they just they just fit really nicely right in there, and the stories kind of tell themselves and i wish that it had come earlier because maybe it would have been enough to save the series and have it go on for longer i don't yeah. i actually don't know if uh they canceled the series because numbers were down or if the licensing time period had expired you know they could have signed a two-year deal with toho yeah that could have been at 24 issues that's two years that could have just been the extent of their deal with toho yeah it might have that might or have maybe toho wanted more money perhaps um, it's not addressed in the comics anywhere, not e even in the letter section. So the comic yeah, just ends. It does. And it has an actual ending too, which is what maybe what leads me to believe that they the license ran out because they could see the writing on the wall. Because the all of the plot threads and everything comes together in the end to give us an actual conclusion. It's not the conclusion of a canceled book. No, it's not rushed. Yeah. So I think that maybe, uh, yeah, they probably lost the license. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Or, or they, they knew going in. We have two years years this is what we have to do what i also found interesting with this back half is uh doug mensch falls on a lot of the tropes of 
cartoon TV writing, <laughs> like, yes. uh, uh, which is not a problem. Like, I absolutely love 80s cartoons. This is the era that I grew up in. And it's like when you are writing 64 episodes of a TV series for syndications, like, of course, you're going to have the shrinking episode and the time travel episode and the body swapping episode or, you know, there's it, you, without you fail. just <laughs> you just named three major tropes that were used very heavily in Darkwing Duck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no, it's not just Darkwing Duck. It's every cartoon Duck, in the 80s yeah. has that every, shrinking, yeah. and they always call it the incredible shrinking fill-in-the-blank, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and that happens to Godzilla in these comics, too. And that's mm -hmm. understandable if he's writing for kids. You're going to go to those tropes, and he does a fine job of them, I think. I think it's okay. <laughs> well, things happen to Godzilla in these comics that really have never happened to him before or since yeah so it's it's fascinating to see the take on him that even toho hasn't tried some of this stuff yet and they probably never will so it's definitely yeah. fascinating to read these totally okay well having said that let's get into these issues here uh is there anything any plot points from the first half of this this series that we need to remember going into the second half red ronin red who ronin, is yeah. uh shows up in the next couple of issues and the characters surrounding him, um, the Takaguchis, Rob, Tamara, Professor, those characters are important as well. And our S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. And that's, that's pretty much it. Nothing major is carrying over at this point. Yeah, I think the only real major thing is that Rob has formed a um, this, this connection, I guess, with... I don't even know how that came... Well, not just with Red Ronin, but with Godzilla himself. They yes. he's formed some sort of rapport just through like look looking at him, I guess, or something. Well, he's <laughs> the only person point. who's been treating him with respect. Yes, and I guess that's because he he was part of the robot, who, and it, he physically came to Godzilla's defense, and that shows yes, Godzilla that this is a good guy. Yeah, and that's kind of where we all we need to know going forward here. Um, Shield, of course, is just chasing him around, but we get to this this issue here, issue number twelve. It's called the Beta Beast. Uh, it's the first part to a storyline called the Mega Monsters from Beyond, uh, drawn, of course, by Herb Trimpey, who is our regular artist through all of the issues we're talking about today. Uh, Fred Kita, our inker, who's been inking the past few issues here. And uh, in this in this one, um, Godzilla gets sent to outer space. There's a beam of light, and he is just sucked into it, and he's taken to the moon of all places. And he's put in this um, death match against a giant alien creature on the moon. And when he fight, when he wins the match, these aliens who who you know set up the match in the first place say that he is the guy who's going to save Earth from an invading alien force that's going to destroy the planet. Uh, and so Godzilla sent back to Earth, and he's going to have to fight these three giant monsters in the next issue. What a ridiculous plot this is. But it's so very, very Toho. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. I, I love all of these huge monsters. This monster that's on the, the, the beta beast that's on the, the moon here. What a great design. I love it. Yeah, I feel like at this point, with especially with all the monsters in the next three issues, they're really using the Japanese films as inspiration. And not just copying things like Mothra or Rodan. They're going kind of crazy here. 
And it definitely, a lot of this craziness has its roots in the 70s Godzilla movies with monsters like Gigan and Megalon or the, the monsters from the Gamera and Ultraman series. I mean, this creature he fights, the Beta Beast, I can barely describe how insane it looks. <laughs> it looked great. But at the same time, it's like I can totally see a guy in a rubber suit in this in this costume. Like Exactly. It, it could be straight out of a, of a Godzilla movie. It's it's a really it good design. Yeah. Yeah, it's outlandish to the point to the, to the point where it works as a Godzilla opponent. Yeah. And of course he gets sucked up and goes into, you know, outer space is on the moon. That has happened to Godzilla before. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, a movie um known by many different titles, Monster Zero, Godzilla versus Monster Zero. Um, the grammatically incorrect invasion of Astro Monster. Um, <laughs> and that, in that movie, Godzilla and Rodan are um, taken by aliens, brought to Planet X, where they have to fight King Ghidorah, uh, where it turns out that the aliens are just using the monsters to attack Earth, and Godzilla, Rodan, and King Ghidorah are set loose in Japan, you know, destroy it. So, awesome. so this isn't the first time Godzilla's been in outer space, but the whole this whole plot is very, very Toho. I love it. I really do. The yeah. This comic and the next two issues were my favorite out of the entire run as a kid. Okay, I can see that. Yep, especially if uh, if you are familiar with the, the films and also the yes. Star Wars craze going on at the same time. We mentioned in the last episode that Star Wars, it was just coming out around the time that this this uh, series was launching and there's a lot of Star Wars ads and this one has Star Sinister right on the cover in a very kind of a Star Wars-ish kind of a font. So oh, <laughs> yeah. trying to tie into that for sure. Um, I love the artwork in this issue. There is just some amazing, amazing stuff here. The the scene where Godzilla is being pulled through space, really, really cool designs of just outer space, the asteroids, the moon. Uh, very, very cool. Um, you already mentioned the design of the, the Beta Beast. Very awesome as well. And just the fight that they have um, oh, through pages 13, 14, and especially on page 19, when they're when they're doing uh, uh, when Godzilla has his, his atomic breath, he's trying to fry the beta beast, but the beta beast has his own sort of ray or something coming out of his forehead. That's a very common Godzilla trope. In fact, every time Godzilla goes up against Mechagodzilla, their rays always hit right in the middle, just like this. I feel like that's just a kind of a Japanese thing in general. I think yeah. how many times did that happen in Dragon Ball Z or whatever? <laughs> You know, but it's great. I love the, the drawings because you can get the the intensity of the flame, the shadows that are uh, that are being cast by it are, are very very cool. It looks it looks fantastic. Very and impressive. aside from the narration, it's literally just Godzilla and this monster fighting. Yeah, and Doug Mitch does a good job with the narration too. If you actually, a lot of people like to skip over caption boxes like that, but if you actually read it, um, it's it's almost poetic the way he describes the action because he's not just describing the action; he's trying trying to put in inflection into Godzilla's mm -hmm. uh, movements and his posture and that kind of stuff. And it's just, a, it's really nice. He does a good job of it. He must summon courage. He must succumb to rage. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You get into Godzilla's head a little bit. And you kind of have to with a character that doesn't talk at all. It's kind of important to have that kind of um, commentary going on. And because, like I mentioned last episode, they're giving him these dead red eyes. He can't really emote. Yeah. In this comic. Yeah, they and that's that's why the dialogue comes into play for sure. Yeah. 
Okay, should we move on to the next one? Yes, absolutely. This is where it's getting good. Issue number 13, The Mega Monsters from Beyond, Part 2, Triax. Godzilla sent back to Earth, and he now has to face the three monsters that this rival alien species is sending here. They're going to take over the planet because I guess, I don't even remember what their, their motivation is, but um, they wanted, they, they're going to take over this planet so they can get to this other alien race, the one that was with Godzilla on the moon. Well, aren't they sending their monsters to Earth specifically? specifically to go at Godzilla because the good aliens are using Godzilla as their protector because he fought the other monster they want basically tested the strength right so the evil aliens are sending the these three monsters to earth specifically to fight Godzilla so that he can't protect them anymore so they can yeah. fight each other I think there correct? you go that's right yeah yeah yes absolutely and then fortunately also Red Ronin is here to help Godzilla uh, in the fight and this is great I love on page six there's a shot kind of an aerial shot of the city and you can just see that in the outskirts of the city is where the battle is taking place and uh, the the perspective on it is really nice because you get a good sense of just the how how gigantic this all is and that also reminds me of you know a Toho film where you have the miniature scale model of the city and the, the guys kind of running through it doing their battle yeah that the last panel on page six with Ronin Godzilla standing in more of the foreground as the other two monsters land right yep. outside the city that is absolutely Godzilla <laughs> wonderful yeah I got well, also, also wonderful these monster designs yeah now these are different than the the one we saw in the last uh, issue because these guys are definitely more animalistic whereas the other one looked more maybe it was standing on two legs it looked more like a human humanoid type of a character even though it was completely outlandish well I'd say one of them is pretty out there um the other two yeah a lot more animalistic you're right yeah, there's the one that had, they all have names and one of them has like a helicopter tail and one of them can like suck up things and spit them back. It's like they all have individual unique powers as well. And that provides just good action in the back half of this issue and what's coming up in the next issue because um, because they attack Godzilla in different ways and he has to defend himself in different ways and has to take care of the situation in different ways. So it's not right. repetitive at all. We have three very different battles. Yeah, and each monster, like you said, has a very different power. And again, that is very true to the uh, Godzilla series. How, oh, and say even more like the um, the Gamera movies. Gamera was a giant flying turtle, and his his adversaries usually had crazy weapons. Like one monster had a knife for a head. Oh, wow. um, another monster shot lasers that cut things straight in half. Um, so I think that you get a little bit of that here too. Um, the monster Triax, the uh, the turtleish one. I notice he flies by shooting rockets from his legs. Right. That that definitely seems very much patterned after the monster Gamera, which was um, not from Toho, but was one of Godzilla's very very um, most popular rivals of the uh, the era in Japanese movies. Oh, okay. But um, I love the the yellow one. His name is uh, I think it's Ryan with the giant clam head. Right. Oh yeah, Ryan Crawler and Triax. Yeah. Yep. Well, interestingly, a lot of the dialogue in these fight scenes are coming from the aliens as the aliens are like guiding the monsters. But Rob can hear the aliens voices in his head. Yeah, there's some sort of telepathic communication, but unfortunately, it, it can't be directed at any one being. So everybody kind of hears, I guess Dum Dum doesn't hear it, but Gabe seems to hear it. Maybe Dum Dum isn't smart enough to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of characters, they keep saying that voice in my head. Why do I keep hearing that? That's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ryan has the tail is not only works the same way as a helicopter propeller, 
this thing is razor sharp. Yeah. And I love it. How does this issue end? Okay. Yeah. Uh, shock ending here. We have um, uh, the face off between Red Ronin and uh, I don't remember which guy. What's his name again? Ryan. Ryan yeah. Uh, he uses his razor sharp propeller tail <laughs> to just knock off the head right off of the Ronin ro robot. And it's kind of a frightening scene because, you know, uh, Rob is in there and the head goes flying back. And then you just get this one panel of the head crashed on the ground and Rob is like falling out of it, hanging out of the eye socket of the robot. Yes. It's like, oh man, this kid, this poor kid, he's probably dead. That would have that would have killed anybody. Yeah, but um, not in comics. Yeah, it, it it's definitely it's definitely shock value. If this has happened in a movie, you definitely have been shocked by it. Yeah, and it's great. It's effective, and you, you like you you get a sense that these characters are not invulnerable because that's the problem with Godzilla. And this is uh because he's the star of his own book, he's not going to die. Uh, and so we do need to have some way to show some sort of urgency in the situation. Especially when we're talking about mass destruction. It's like disaster movies, when you watch them, it's like oh, the cities get destroyed and, and nobody really thinks about how many people are dying because it's on such a massive scale. Right. So you have to bring it back. So when we have Red Ronin being attacked like this and losing his head, it's more personal and we, we understand the stakes more. And it sets up and, the third issue now. And I know you cannot, you know, really you can't talk timing in a comic book because this isn't a movie. But I do love how the voice tells uh, Ryan to remember his anterior bio blade. And then you get Rob like, huh? What's he talking about? Anterior bio thwack. The yeah. head goes right off. And like if that had happened in a movie and he was cut off mid-thought, that would have been incredibly dramatic and a very totally. shocking. Yep, that would have been great. I could just see it. I can picture it in my mind. And then on top of that, at the very end of the issue, the monsters got even bigger than Godzilla. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. What are they going to do? So let's uh, mosey on over to the next issue here, issue number fourteen. The uh, this one's just called the Super Beasts, Mega Monsters Part Three, the Super Beasts. Same creative team as last time. Great splash page with uh, with Red Ronin in the middle and Godzilla kind of looking over. Is like, what happened to my friend? Yep, Godzilla actually looks concerned. Yeah, he does have a little bit of emotion there on his face. Like his posture as, is, is definitely like trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, as concerned as he can look in this series. Yeah. Uh, okay, so in this series, this this issue is kind of one big battle Fight. between yeah. everybody who's involved. Shield tries to get involved, but it's like it. It's you really, really it's it's actually very fast paced. Uh, if you're reading it, it's just action, wall to wall action and things are happening. And there's there's a subplot on the moon as well, because the moon people are uh, fighting their own battle alongside what's going on here. And it's just uh, it's just incredibly fun. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s right now worried about just trying to help Rob. And yeah, you have the aliens concerned about what's going on with them because the good guy aliens, I forgot what their names were. And there was the Betas and the Megans. Right. I don't remember which one's the bad guys and which ones are the good guys. It's kind of hard to keep track. Well, the Beta Beast belonged to the Badens, but that was their own beast. I think the Badens are the good guys. Yeah, and the Megans are the uh, the red aliens that you see in a few uh, a few panels. You don't see a lot of them, but and that's why they're called the Mega Monsters because they're Megans. Right, that makes sense. But like you said, this is mostly a fight yeah. between Godzilla and the three monsters. But a great fight. Like it's just the the choreography and the timing and everything like Herb Trimpey laying out all of these pages to like, I can just imagine the plot that he was given. Doug Mensch probably said, okay, so uh, this issue is just a big fight. Go at it for 22 pages. 
and her well, setting it all up. I think what really stands out is maybe we're, maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but how brutal the monster deaths are in this issue. Yeah, totally. Like this, these monster deaths are truly taking a page out of the Japanese films. Oh yeah, because this is exactly how he probably would have killed these guys in the in the movies. Like he doesn't yeah. show any mercy. I love on page twenty-seven. It's the death of Rian. He killed like his neck. He he's killed by a, a severed head. His head is severed by his own uh, propeller tail. <laughs> like holy cow, that's brutal. Yeah, and I could I could totally see it in a Godzilla movie. This monster fighting Godzilla turns on the blade. It totally looks like Godzilla is done for. Maybe in the movie he would have drew some blood because they were pretty gratuitous with that kind of stuff in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, yeah, Godzilla just bends the monster inward and just slices the thing's head off. Wow, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then of um, Crawler dies by flying straight into Godzilla's flame, mouth wide open. Yeah, and he's just charred. Yeah, so Godzilla roasts and just decapitates and just kills these things. It's very triumphant, the defeats. Like, you really you really get excited. And even right after Ryan's killed, even Dum Dum is like, wahoo, he's so excited. Everyone's happy. I just love how the three issues work so well together because the first issue is Godzilla versus one monster that sets up the whole story. And then Godzilla has to fight three monsters, but he has the help of Red Ronin. Uh, but it's still the stakes are higher. And now he has to fight three monster monsters that are way bigger by than him himself. by himself. And it's like the it just gets ramped up. Each one of these three issues is like, you thought that one was good? Check this one out. Yeah, I agree. So I good. totally agree. Yeah. But I, I find it's kind of funny that the, the Megans kind of just stop fighting back. They're like, we're done. We're tired. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> so if I had any complaints, that would actually be the one that the ending, I, I thought maybe Doug didn't quite have a way to get, like he had this whole alien war going on, but obviously that's not going to be a focus of the rest of the series. How do we get these aliens, like wrap up that storyline and have them not bother anybody anymore? Well, the the betas, from the look of it, there's just one left. He's that's there's right. one they, survivor. That's true. They all died. Uh, the the Megans destroyed their artificial atmosphere, and so yeah. So oh man. so even though the beta beasts were all the mega monsters, I mean, were all killed, the Megans themselves suffered no loss of life and just decided, okay, we're done. We're tired. You know, when you think about it, which race won? It's it's interesting and ambiguous that way. I, I kind of like it. Yeah, it is very interesting. Makes you draw your own conclusions. Huh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the end, Godzilla walks off into the sunset, just like, like usual. As he, sh- as he should. Yep. There he goes. He's going to go further east. And that takes us All into right. our next issue, number 15. Oh, yeah. This one's called Rome on the Range. And we get a new inker in this one. His name is Dan Green. And Dan is an excellent inker. Uh, he's uh, he's every bit as good as Kida. And I think one of the most notable things for Dan is that um, he got to ink uh, John Romita Jr. on Uncanny X-Men around this, a little bit later oh. in this era as well. And he um, he did a lot to kind of smooth over how rough John Romita Jr.'s pencils can be. Uh, and so we we get a really, really nice uh, look to Godzilla here as well. I think it's very consistent with what Fred Keita was doing, um, but at the same time, adds a just adds a lot of slickness to it. He does some different things. Like if you go to page before we sorry, I'll get into the plot in, in just a second. But if you go to page 16, 
which is that there's a big splash page on one side where you can see Godzilla towering above everybody. Yeah, it's really nicely done. But on the other side, we have um, this one page of this guy. Uh, he's, he's pointing a finger at the panel and there's like thick black outlines around the uh, the fingers. You see that? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. That's something that Dan Green will do just to help um, show the, the contrast of what's in the foreground and what's not in the foreground. Uh, he, right. he actually likes his thick lines a lot. Well, you'll see that kind of pop up as you're looking through the issues, uh, whereas Kida has a much thinner uh, st- brush stroke, but he puts a lot more um, emphasis on shadows, I think. So there, there's a few differences. Well, I will say I don't I don't like the story much. I know you'll get into it in a moment, but I do love the art. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so speaking of the story, this is a weird one. It's kind of an about face uh, in the than the last issue, which was so outlandish in science fiction. This one is a western. We have Godzilla in the Wild West, basic basically. Um, it's kind of weird because we're talking about cattle rustlers and cowboys and and stuff that I don't know if it was actually really relevant in the 1970s. Um, I don't know if these <laughs> kind of cowboys still existed at this time, but they do here. Uh, and even if they did, the last last fictional character I put them up against would be Godzilla. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the other big, really popular comics that Marvel was publishing around this time, actually it was a little bit before this, was Tomb of Dracula. And uh, that one, of, of course, it starred Dracula as the main character. And he is both the antagonist and the protagonist of that book. So, but, and because you have that, because he's typically a villainous character uh, right. preying on innocent people, but he's also the main character character of the book, the, the writers had to populate his stories with tales of ordinary people and how Dracula's lives intersect with them. And I think this is what we're seeing with this story as well. And we saw that a little bit with the the Las Vegas story in the last issue. But this story has uh, a, these, th- there's apparently something wrong with the cattle. They're all disappearing. Uh, they think that, you know, they're being eaten by, by I don't know, wild animals or something like that. Uh, and then, and, and, but then through the series of events, we find out that actually there's like some weird shady deals going on behind the scenes where one person's hiding all of the the cattle and because he wants to buy property from another person who's not selling or whatever like there's this whole behind the scenes story and world that Doug Mensch has, has built and then what Godzilla just kind of wanders in and stomps on everything <laughs> right and, and then uh, and everybody thinks that he's behind the disappearing cattle. Like this dinosaur is obviously eating the all of the, the cattle. And that's why they're, they're gone. Um, and so all of the cowboys band together to try and stop Godzilla. And it's kind of like I can put aside my 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 uh, unbelief when we're talking about Godzilla in space fighting aliens or their shield with helicarriers. But when we're talking about much more real world characters like cowboys. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It's like no, it doesn't. You really, um, these guys and horses are going to try and take down this skyscraper of a monster. And I feel like I also feel like they're trying to get us too invested in what's going on. Yeah, but it really, it really does lose me. Shield disappears after yeah. page seven. Yep, and Godzilla. Only when Godzilla is in on the action did it hold my interest. It's I true. after I read it, I didn't remember any of what was going on with the human drama. <laughs> yeah. 
and it's not important. It's uh, it is none of it's important. Yeah, and like the also the gambling stuff in the Las Vegas stuff is also not important to the overall story. But at least that one was interesting, and it gave a nice twist ending. This one doesn't really. I mean, there is a little bit of a twist because one guy ends up being the bad guy, but right. It, but like, I can also yeah. relate to a down as luck guy who's trying to you know make more money by gambling to help his. Know, to help his sick mom and i can relate to that i can't relate to to dude ranch drama yeah I, I can't relate to it so like some of my least favorite cartoon plots in the 70s and 80s were like cowboy ranch episodes of shows and this is pretty much what this is the cowboy episode it's true and it just yep. it doesn't do it for me i mean the worst <laughs> thing that happens to godzilla in the entire issue is dynamite strapped to his tail right which is just going to be a minor annoyance to him nothing big i mean he beat three space monsters single-handedly in the last issue dynamite on the tail is not going to do anything yeah oh boy and somebody wrote in several issues from now complaining about this storyline <laughs> <laughs> yep. and the editor said hey it was a change of pace well, that's not incorrect. Definitely was a change of pace. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's keep on going. This is a two-parter story. So let's go on to the second part, issue number 16. This one, I, just before we get into the issue, I want to make a note here on the first page. The colorist is credited as F. Mooley. And this is Francois Mouly, who would go on after this a couple years later, I think, to be the wife of Art Spiegelman, who did the incredible mm. graphic novel Mouse about World War II. Right. And I read that yeah. in college. Yeah. Currently, she is the art director for The New Yorker. Oh. Yeah. So that's Do you think cool. there's a reason why all the credits on this issue, it's the first initial and last name? I don't know if there's a specific reason, except maybe they needed to save some space. Although these people's names aren't big. Doug, Herb, Dan. Um, <laughs> B-Hall. Yeah, Bob, that's Bob. <laughs> yeah. And Jim. It was like, those are all three or four letter words. They could have easily put that in there. Nah, sometimes they just like to do things like that and just be be different. Yeah. So um, what happens in this issue? <sighs> okay, so this issue is called The Great Godzilla Roundup. Uh, after smashing the ranch of, the, of one of these guys, uh, everybody decides that they need to go off against uh, to go after Godzilla. They're going to round him up into this gorge or something like that and, and trap him. And then I don't even know what their plan is. They're going to drop some rocks on him or something. Um, but because that's going to stop him. Yeah. So this whole thing is like there's <laughs> there is one there's one scene in here where the um it's on page 21 where one of the guys is up on the top of the cliff and he ropes godzilla on the mouth and jumps onto his head and rides godzilla like he's riding a bucking bronco and then on the next page godzilla just flings him and it's like this guy is at the top of a skyscraper keep in mind and he's now falling to his death like this is brutal <laughs> and all of all he says is uh-oh and then we never see him again <laughs> I'm going to make an assumption he must have died, but that's a very low-key death that they don't get back to. They they don't. We never see him again. I kept my eye open for a blind guy in a red shirt, and he's never seen again. This guy, <laughs> this guy fell to his death from like the, the top of the World Trade Center. You know, it's like that's and we, what this is. And like. we know how big this Godzilla is. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, brutal. It's, what a what a weird storyline, man. It is. It's very weird. So through this whole process, um, they the cowboys find out that Godzilla is not actually behind the cattle disappearance because they find all of the cattle which has been stashed in this gorge. 
uh, by another guy. And then all of a sudden, the fight, they just forget about Godzilla. They're like, forget this guy. Now we're angry at these guys for stealing our cattle. Now we're going to have a good old-fashioned gun battle. And like all of a sudden, Godzilla's not important anymore. And he just kind of, it's just the, it's a weird ending because the one guy who's like behind it is about to take out the other guy who's the good guy and Godzilla appears behind him and just, he, for some reason, Godzilla can infer what's going on with the cattle and who the bad guy is and like just gives the the bad guy a little flick and sends him falling off of a mountain and he dies. Yeah, he gently taps him with his fingers. (laughs) It's like, what? Really? Godzilla knows enough that this is what's going on? I don't know. Um, Shield is not in this issue at all. Is this the only one where they don't appear? I think this. I think this is. Yeah, he's not in this one at all. Boy, did that show some restraint. I think that Doug had a very specific idea of what he wanted to do, what he was trying to accomplish with this. But because because Shield's not in here, he was he had such a big convoluted story about these cattle rustlers, and it just didn't come out as well as I think it probably should have, or maybe maybe he wanted it to. Well, they got in, took two issues, got out. Yep, and we're moving on to better things. Yeah, and. So this issue here, 17, is where I think straight from 17 to the end, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. These last eight issues are so good. I just thought from start to finish, even though this shrinking concept is kind of gimmicky, I think it worked. It may be gimmicky, but it's never happened to Godzilla before. And it was awesome. I thought it was great. It, it, It was a change of pace. Um, and okay, so this one is called Of Lizards Great and Small, and Godzilla is still... Uh, roaming through the Midwest. And they're like, everybody's like, what are we going to do? We have to figure out a way to get them out of the middle of the United States of America. And so they actually have a brilliant plan. They're like, if only we could shrink him down to a manageable size. Wow. Who's an expert on that in the Marvel universe? Yeah, I wonder. So, and that this is great because they contact Hank Pym and Hank Pym being Ant-Man, of course. Uh, Yeah, that was as a, you know, 40 plus year old fan who is more familiar with these characters through the MCU. The first time I said his name, it was a definite say what kind of moment, you know? Yeah. Because I wasn't expecting it. Oh, good. Yeah. I, as, as soon as they say shrinking, I'm like, oh, they're going to definitely call in this guy. Uh, and they do. So they get the the, uh, the shrinking ray. And then the mo- majority of this issue is trying to figure out how to get this uh, this, this giant monster to take the medicine <laughs> in order to yeah, get him to shrink. But we get some great artwork in here again as well, playing with just how how large Godzilla is. Yeah, I'll point out the very first panel. It's It shows him quite large, but it's kind of odd because he's leaning over and he's gently nibbling from the top of a tree. <laughs> like a giraffe. <laughs> Something I've never seen Godzilla do before. Yeah, yeah. it says he's grazing. Yes. It is kind of funny. Uh, everyone yeah. needs their greens. We we also have this character in here that he's been around for a little while, but we actually haven't mentioned him. Hugh Howards. And I only know noticed him in this issue because he introduces himself to Little Rob. Right. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, this guy has been around. He's the guy who's designed the new behemoth helicarrier and has been the pilot for it but he's just kind of been there but now all of a sudden they're actually giving him lines and hugh howard's i think is a play on howard hughes who that makes sense who's a and you know he designs air he designed aircrafts and he's a multi-billionaire or something like that just i don't slowly know slowly went insane yep <laughs> <laughs> um, that I, that I, tracks but before we get too far you mentioned rob 
This yeah. is the point in the stories, if I have to pull out anything even remotely critical, this is about the point where I start to lose patience for this character. Um, Strip from Red Ronin, he kind of loses a bit of his purpose. Yeah, he's a one-note character. Except for a little bit, you know, in the next couple of issues, he doesn't really have much to do but complain and cry. And it's going to get to the point where the other characters start calling him out on it, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know at this point if we're even supposed to sympathize with Rob anymore. Because he keeps talking about Red Ronin, and, you know, this should be no spoiler alert, but Red Ronin does not come back. I and... was I was totally expecting him to show up in the finale, but I was totally surprised that he did not. Did did the character ever come back at all? Yes. Red Ronin does okay. come back. Yeah. But no, just not in the Godzilla issues. Not in the Godzilla issues. And I, I actually don't even know if Rob is the one who's piloting him. I didn't bother to look that up. But I know he does come back. He's in uh, uh he shows up in the Micronauts and in a couple other places. Uh, sorry, no, not Micronauts, uh Shogun Warriors. Shogun Warriors, right. Okay. Yeah. Well that, that makes sense. Yep, it does. <laughs> yeah, so Rob is an interesting guy because, like you said, once he's stripped of, of the, the armor, he doesn't have this purpose, but it is really all building to the finale. It is. I will I will concede that, yes, it definitely is. And he has some good moments in the next issue when he's going to look for Godzilla. But yeah, the one of the problems with a serialized book like this is that you have to, if you have the characters in every issue, you do actually have to put in their character or their like their you know their thing in every issue so that if someone is just randomly picking up issue 18 not having read issue any issues before that they'll understand what this character is all about and because right. the only thing that rob has going for him is that he is upset that no one listens to him about godzilla then that unfortunately has to happen in every single issue he, yeah he has to have a moment where he does even if it's doing the exact same thing, he has to have that moment. Yeah. But I will say that it is on track with someone who's 12 years old to act like this. I have an 11-year-old yes. right now, and I can see the early stages of puberty starting and affecting his hormones. And Rob's behavior here actually isn't out of character for someone his age. <laughs> you know, the narration, when he's calling a Godzilla, it calls him, I, I quote, the 12-year-old boy man. Yeah, that's it. That's the nar narration verbatim. Yep. And very interesting. Then, yeah, he's right in the middle of puberty. If he's a boy man, I guess that makes sense, doesn't it? Yep. Yep. And his emotions are high, and he's reacting to things probably in a little bit more of an immature way than he should, but that's just where he's at in life. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. But it is super annoying, and my 11-year-old is super annoying when he's like that, too. <laughs> so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> so they use Rob to get Godzilla's attention, and just as Godzilla guard down, they hit him with the shrink gas. Yeah, this is great. Now we have a little mini uh, Godzilla who's still a force to be reckoned with. Like Gabe goes to to grab him, and he and Godzilla bites him on the hand. <laughs> well, I I love that he doesn't shrink right away, and he actually grabs Dum Dum, and Godzilla shrinks, and it, well, with Dum Dum still in his hand. Yep. He's like, what's happening? I'm getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes Godzilla by the tail. I love it. It's just we can we can deal with Godzilla in a so, such a different way now. And they catch him with a butterfly net, it seems, and take him away. And here's the brilliant part is because now this is how they're getting Godzilla to New York. Uh, we knew I, I can because the center of the Marvel Universe is New York City. And because Godzilla has been doing this trek across America from the West Coast heading east, 
I think we could already assume that the end game is going to be New York City. And well, we're the not... Avenger Tower, well, exactly. Baxter Building, All the Daily Bugle. <laughs> so, but but we're not letting Godzilla get there naturally. We're going to skip right to that now. So yeah. it, let's go on to issue number 18. Before we get to issue number 18, I would like to point out that there's an advertisement in the comic on page 18. So there's an advertisement on page 18 for a NBC Saturday morning lineup. And right there, bottom right in the ad, is the Godzilla Power Hour from Hanna-Barbera. That's right. Showing Godzilla and Godzuki. There you go. And they try, they try to get him as gray as possible there, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know which design I prefer. The Hanna-Barbera one or the Marvel one. I guess I'm just used to the Marvel design. This one's definitely streamlined for animation. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll take the I'll take these comics over Godzuki any day anyway. <laughs> so, oh man, yeah, uh, that's a great uh, a great advertisement as well. We got the new Fantastic Four cartoon as well with Herbie the robot because they couldn't get the licensing for Fantastic for the entire Fantastic Four. Human Torch was uh, um, going to do his own thing in a in a different movie. Oh, that, I always assumed happens. it was a, I always assumed it was a standard and practices thing. You didn't want a character who was on fire all the time. You know that is uh, a popular belief, but that's not actually the that was that's a myth. The 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 actual case is that um, Marvel was licensing other characters to different companies at the time, and so Fantastic Four had to go on without the Human Torch. And that makes sense, yeah. though. And then Jenna of the Jungle also is, uh, I think, it, was she the other half of the Godzilla Power Hour? Yeah, she was. Yes. So Godzilla was half half an hour, and Jenna of the Jungle was the other half an hour. And then we also got some Yogi Bear action too. Yeah, that that I watched that show a little bit, and it was fun. I don't know, I don't, I haven't watched it in years, so I don't know how it holds up. But I just like seeing a bunch of different characters from Hanna Barbera cartoons yeah. all together. Yeah, Hanna Barbera really ruled children's television in the seventies, didn't they? They sure did. Yep. Uh, and then also opposite. This page is an advertisement for the Star Wars comic book, which was a six issue limited series, but because it got so popular, they made it into an ongoing series. And so this this advertisement is letting us know that the comic strip is still going even after the six issue adaptation is done. Star Wars, that'll burn out soon. It's just one movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's keep on going to issue number 18. The cover says Battle Beneath 8th Avenue, and the inside title is Fugitive in Manhattan. We have arrived in New York City, and uh, what are we going to do here? Well, we don't exactly know. They've brought in another character, a new character, another scientist who wants to study dinosaurs. And I guess they're going to meet up with him, and they're still not sure exactly what's going to happen. But um, they accidentally dump uh, Godzilla into—I don't know if it's the Hudson River or whatever—somewhere, and he uh, he escapes. So we're in big trouble because we have a, a, a dinosaur on the loose. But it's a mini dinosaur. He's so small. He's like the size of a mouse or a rat. He's yep. the size of a rat. And so um, I love the artwork in this one because they still, even though he's small. They keep the camera angle in a lot of shots at the same low camera angle to still make Godzilla look huge, but then we see like massive fire hydrants behind him and stuff. Yeah, it's actually really well done. And then at one point he fights a rat and the rat is just treated like another one of these giant monsters that he, he would fight in any other issue. He's defeated like one too. <laughs> yeah, he totally used his atomic uh, atomic breath to just fry him. He shows that rat no mercy. Well, the, the rat doesn't show him much mercy either. The rat's chomping on his neck. A little brutal. It's a great battle. It's just a couple of pages, and there's very few words, but it's really, really good. I, I love how, how it's done. Godzilla's still the king. 
Yep. Even when he's teeny tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at the end, we meet up. Rob Rob goes looking for him. And like, how are you going to find a giant dinosaur in New York City? Like that's, or sorry, a tiny dinosaur in New York City. It's impossible. But Godzilla recognizes his voice. And this is kind of a little turning point here because Rob, while Rob has been always a defender of Godzilla, there hasn't been a whole lot of reciprocating from Godzilla. But uh, but we now we have Godzilla actually re- reacting positively to Rob, and that's going to play heavily um, come the end of the series. Yes. Godzilla now becomes Rob's, Rob's buddy for a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I want to point out something that... Uh, the narration says that Godzilla grows to four feet, the exact same size as Rob. Four feet is how tall my six-year-old daughter is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a short guy. Rob is not. Rob cannot possibly be four feet tall. Um, they want us to look at him as a little kid, but they don't always treat him like one. It's a, it's a little inconsistent. It is. Yeah. I mean, I guess how old is my eleven-year-old? I haven't measured him in a long time, but he's probably closer to five, five feet. Yeah. Okay, let's keep on going here to issue number 19, Panic on the Pier. Uh, The inside title is With Dugan on the Docks. They like their alliteration titles. This is a funny issue because um, Godzilla is now the size of a person, and Rob has to find a way to get him back to the docks, back to the helicarrier. So this is classic. Puts him in a trench coat and a big hat, (laughs) and they walk through the city. Uh, I love it. I, I do love some of the encounters. He makes a drunk give up his booze. Yep. Um, and then when they run into a couple of muggers, Godzilla roasts them alive. He does. It's brutal. It's like he these guys should have severe radiation burns from what Godzilla did to them. Like they are not going to be OK. <laughs> these guys should be dead. <laughs> They run away. Yeah. Yay, help, I'm burning. Let me out of here. It's brutal. And so at the very, uh, toward the middle of the issue here, all of the major players, S.H.I.E.L.D. and the and the scientists and everybody are just on the docks and they don't, they don't know what to do. And this Rob comes kind of just wandering in like, oh, here we go. Here I, I found him, guys. And Dum Dum reacts poorly and starts a little bit of a battle. This is really the only action we we get is a is a battle between Dum Dum Dugan and Godzilla, which is kind of funny that these two are actually fighting fist to fist. Um, Godzilla actually picks up Dugan from the back of his shirt. <laughs> yep. Kind of, kind of like saying, come here, you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Because Godzilla has another growth spurt. He gets up to seven feet now. Yeah, this one is kind of like just the it's a bridge issue between what happened last time and what's going to happen in the next issue. Right. This is this is the calm before the storm. And I like it. There's some good character development for Godzilla, I think, in general in this one. Uh, They don't really do a whole lot of character development for him. But because he's human size, I feel like they're giving him a lot more of a human personality through this through this one issue. And like and yeah, like I mentioned already, you can see it in the way Godzilla is fighting them. Yeah, again, he he picked up Dum Dum by the back of his shirt. He he picks Gabe up over his head and throws him off the dock, and then he sucker punches Dugan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's not fine. Yeah, he could be firing his ray at them, which he tries, but they hold it. They hold the trash can lid. Um, right. So instead, he's just fighting with his fists, which Godzilla doesn't usually do. But I guess anything else would probably kill them. So they had to do something a bit more nonviolent. But it's fun. Yep. And then he stomps off into the middle of the city, and it takes us to the next issue, issue yeah, number so twenty. We, yep. And this issue also ends with Rob screaming again. Yeah, he'll do that. Yeah, he's going to do that like almost every issue now. <laughs> 
Okay, so issue number 20, right on the front cover, we see the Fantastic Four. So this, I think, from here on out, I think that they are trying to do things to uh, to draw more readers in. Um, oh, yeah. And and so now we get kind of the full force of the Marvel Universe uh, in, in these issues here, starting with the Fantastic Four. So Godzilla uh, is rampaging through the city. He's frightened because he doesn't know what's going on. And everybody else is frightened because they see this monster that's uh, the size of a small building at this point. He's not he's not monstrous, like towering, but... Uh, 20 feet, it says. Yeah, that's pretty sizable. That's, that's still pretty big, yeah. Yep. And so uh, the Fantastic Four get involved. They see that something's going on. And so they come to help. And they are luring... A shield and everybody is luring the dinosaur into this... the. Uh, Smithsonian? No, uh, Museum Museum of Natural History. Uh, oh, yeah, the Mu- Museum of Natural History. That's right. And I, and I, they, they have some sort of plan. And I'm like, guys, do your plan elsewhere. Don't take him into the museum full of artifacts that you don't want destroyed. <laughs> well, like... I think their reasoning is because the ceilings in the museum are so tall. Even if he gets a little bit bigger, he should still be able to fit. Yeah. I think that's their reasoning, which I still wouldn't buy it considering how much valuable stuff he he's likely to destroy right uh and then yeah the fantastic four show up and start beating him up and that was a big mistake it's kind of what happened with the champions they're they're not on the same page with shield and things go horribly horribly wrong but this was a good exciting issue i really liked it yeah speaking of things he gets all the best scenes (sighs) he usually does I mean, he he's like face to face with Dum Dum. They both got cigars in their mouths. He's yelling at him. Yep. it's so great. I think this is a good um, a good issue to because uh, it's not really about Godzilla. It's one of those stories where, like like the the cowboy one I was talking about before, where where the story is kind of about Shield and about what what are these people going to do about Godzilla? Not how is Godzilla going to get out of this situation? Of course, but in, in this instance, we know these characters and we like these characters yes. so we're invested in it absolutely <laughs> like what when he, when he knocks down when he knocks down sue you worry about her yep and at the very end of this issue we have a great final page where thing uh, they're fighting over this open tank of of um live sharks <laughs> <laughs> then, in a museum? Yeah, in the museum. I don't know why, but that's what's happening here. And uh, and then Godzilla gets dunked into the tank of sharks. He yeah. can handle it. It's Godzilla. Probably. I've noticed advertisements for Jaws 2. I wonder if this was some sort of cross-promotion here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it could be. Except if it were, then the next issue would have the, the sharks on the front cover, but instead we just get another dinosaur. That's true. But I do really enjoy this issue. I love the Fantastic, Fantastic Four is in here. Yep. I love Ben. He's so funny. And Doug Mensch gets these characters. And he Doug Mensch wrote Fantastic Four for a little while in the 70s, and I'm pretty sure it was before this. So he has a really good handle on how these characters talk and, um, and what they would do. And, and so it feels so completely natural for them to be be in this in this book yeah of course this i mean if godzilla came to new york why shouldn't the superheroes get involved yeah absolutely this is this is also the issue that starts with rob having another outburst and this time dr dr kakaguchi tells him to stop like he's he's like (laughs) knock it off we're done with this (laughs) ah perfect it's it's a really fun issue i i enjoy this one quite a bit 
I, I feel like they're fun from here on out. I just, all of these ones, the, this next Devil Dinosaur story I really enjoyed as well. Uh, People have been asking for Marvel crossovers with the characters for months in the letter column. So it's about time they finally start listening and they're doing a great job. So this next issue, number 21, it's called The Doom Trip. The Fantastic Four thing jumps into the, the shark tank, of course, because the sharks aren't going to be able to hurt his rocky hide and he saves Godzilla. And Mr. Fantastic has a... a a really good idea it's like hey guys i've got a time machine back in my place let's just send him back to the to the prehistoric era and he'll be right at home it's not just his time machine it's dr doom's time machine name drop <laughs> yep definitely so this this time machine um appeared in uh, fantastic four number five which was the first appearance of dr doom and it has been a significant uh, device in the marvel universe ever since um, even in modern day they still use this time platform to uh, to try through time if they need to that's crazy and so they send godzilla back to the stone age and um and then there's a great scene on page 11 where he's kind of traveling through time and the dialogue is meanwhile godzilla's journey is just beginning as time goes to pieces and godzilla slips between the broken edges at last as long it lasts as long as it lasts and when godzilla awakens there is but a single infinite instance instance of confusion an infinite instant yeah and i love it because it's like yeah he's he's beyond time right now he's trapped in limbo traveling through to try and get to this other era and then his reaction when he gets to this to the prehistoric age and he sees no cars no people no buildings and he and he says godzilla drinks it all in bewildered overwhelmed and finally decides he likes it and i think that's that's great let's uh, give him a happy ending here doesn't last long though doesn't last long at all so devil dinosaur is a series that was created by jack kirby when cuz jack jack is famous for creating most of the marvel universe in the city. 60s, uh, along with Stan Lee. He had a falling out in uh, the late, in the early 70s, uh, or, or was it the tail end of the 60s? And he left Marvel, went over to DC, did a whole bunch of stuff there, created a whole bunch of characters, which are now in the new uh, Snyder Cut Justice League movie that just came out. And uh, and then he went back to Marvel for a little bit in, around this time and created a couple of new characters, including Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. And it was a comic that lasted for only nine issues. It was canceled just, uh, well, because Kirby again left. He had a fall, another falling out with Marvel and he left Marvel again. So they he dropped the book after nine issues. And that was about six months before this issue of Godzilla. So a lot of the stuff, the plot threads that just kind of got left dangling in that book kind of just keep on going in this story here. It kind of picks up right where Devil Dinosaur number nine leaves off. That's kind of nice if you're a fan. Definitely. Um, it doesn't resolve anything uh, or is not like a conclusion to those stories or anything, but it's still bringing us into this world that people had just discovered. And um, these are two weird characters. Devil Dinosaur is a red dinosaur. Moon Boy is like a, he's kind of like a caveman. He speaks in full English and he's got hair Where's... all over his body. Except for his like hands and face. Yeah, Otherwise, he's just totally and I don't, a little monkey yeah, kid. I don't know why he's called Moon Boy but he has a good rapport and a good relationship with devil dinosaur i mean yeah with devil dinosaur and i feel like this is actually a foreshadow for what's going to happen coming up in a few issues here 
Yes. Um, and coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, the last issue of Devil Dinosaur, number nine, Devil Dinosaur falls into a time hole and goes to present day. And so this issue with Godzilla coming to the past is kind of the reverse of that. Very interesting. But I think you have to kind of know, in order to fully appreciate these ones, you have to know a lot about the lore of the Devil Dinosaur comics, because there is this group of other cavemen savages who are trying to take over the land and they have their own monsters. And if first moon boy thinks that godzilla is sent by them but then he realizes that they're uh, that he's there to protect the world or something like that as well so we get a good the next issue we're going to have a team up between godzilla and devil dinosaur yes i don't know the lore so it did kind of lose me a little bit but yeah i will say i like the devil dinosaur design he was pretty cool so there's a devil dinosaur tv series in the works right now an animated series uh, and oh, yeah? I think it's coming to Disney Plus sometime in the next year or two. Because of course it is. Yeah. Uh, and because they've recently kind of rebooted this character and brought it into the modern modern Marvel Universe. And uh, it's now, there's a girl called Moon Girl, who is Devil Dinosaur's companion. And I think the TV show is called Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl. <laughs> but anyway, let's keep on going over to issue number 22. This is the second let's. part of the Devil Dinosaur story. It's called The Devil and the Dinosaur. And uh, it, we start off with a, just a brilliant splash page of just dinosaurs fighting each other and volcanoes and cavemen. Oh, yeah, um, it's cool. We have a different inker in this one. And his name is Jack Abel. He comes from um, the, the golden era of Marvel. And his inking makes Herb Trimpey look a lot more like Jack Kirby. If you are aware of Jack Kirby's style, and especially mm -hmm. the way at this time here, Jack Kirby's inker in the 70s, his name was Mike Royer. And Mike had a very distinct way of inking uh, Jack Kirby's work. And so on this splash page here, if you look at, let's, I'm going to use the volcano as our example. Right. And you look at the very solid black shadows that are on the volcano. And then you glance around and look at the other solid blacks that are on like the clothing of the characters or the shading on the dinosaurs. This is all very Kirby-ish or Mike Royer-ish kind of inking. And, uh, and it's suited because Devil Dinosaur is a Jack Kirby character. So I think they're purposely trying to make this look a little bit more Jack Kirby. It looks really nice. Yeah, it does. Uh, okay, so one thing I want to say here is that we have now uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. We're getting back to what's happening in the present day with S.H.I.E.L.D. So we have Devil Dinosaur and Godzilla in the past on page six. And then on page seven, we have something that's happening with S.H.I.E.L.D. And it says, meanwhile, forward in time. Um, so these two events are kind of happening simultaneously. The way that a lot of sci-fi books tackled time travel before Back to the Future came along was that when someone went back to the past, um, they were anchored to the present and time would move at a consistent pace for both timelines, if you understand right. what I'm saying. So yeah. like if Devil Dinosaur stayed for two, or sorry, if Godzilla stayed for two days in the past and then went back to the future, uh, two days would also pass at the same rate in present day. Like he wouldn't be able to transport back to the exact instant he left. Right, right, He would right. come back two days later in time and that's kind of what's happening here as well yeah back to the future definitely rewrote the rules yep i i like that shield doesn't know what to do with themselves now that godzilla's gone <laughs> yes that's great and dum dum mentions hydra he's like they must be due for another uprising <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I love it. It's, and it's like, it's a false sense of security because we, the reader, know that this is not going to end well. And eventually he's got to come back to the present somehow. So we're just waiting for that to happen, enjoying the fact that Dum Dum is getting comfortable not having a Godzilla to run after. They're still trying to play around with the Jimmy Woo, Woo and Tamara relationship or lack thereof. Yeah, they kind of just been forgetting about that or just mention it in passing. It's something that's definitely a slow burn and unfortunately ends up not going anywhere. At this point, there are so many characters that Wu has pretty much gotten lost in, in the in the shuffle, basically. It's true. Yeah, he was a major player before, but he's now just kind of, it's too bad. He's kind of just chauffeuring the, our Japanese friends around. Yeah. And speaking of which, Rob has to be told to calm down again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> the poor kid. He doesn't know what to do with himself now either because Godzilla's gone. He just comes bursting into the room crying. And again, his grandfather's like, calm yourself, Robert. <laughs> well, and his issue is that they've dropped him in a place that's unfamiliar to him. Like he's got no support. Yeah. He's he's not, not actually from that era. So why should he go back there? He's going to fight menaces that he's never fought, like monsters he's never fought before. But that's kind of his thing. Yeah. He Well, he wants nothing less than just some leaving Godzilla alone entirely. Yeah. So anything else he's having a hard time with. Yeah. So eventually I feel like there's kind of a contrivance uh, of bringing him back. Uh, the, there would have to be. There would have to be. Yeah, exactly. Because there's no one there to bring him back. So the, the, the time platform got a little bit of radiation poisoning or something, and it's going to explode. But the explosion is actually just bringing Godzilla back to the present day. Hey, whatever works, get him there. Yep. I do like that they're working on like a time crunch here. It's slowly going to happen. They know it's going to happen, but they have to get this thing out of the building before Godzilla comes out of it. Yes. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah. The whole sense of like, oh man, if he explodes inside the helicarrier, if he comes out, it's going to, and they don't know what size he's going to be as well. Like he could, he hasn't, he hasn't grown again since last time, but could very well be hundreds more feet tall. Yeah. And Richards is just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. He just picks it up, stretches his arm, puts it on the ground and <laughs> like there yep in the middle of times square <laughs> and just in time too okay issue number 23 the king once more the cover doesn't you know gives everything away it's true we get to see the avengers and that's okay though i don't mind them giving it away because that would get me so pumped to read this issue to see oh man iron man's gonna face off against godzilla now this is gonna be awesome vision thor only one avenger doesn't make it into this story and i'm a little upset by it but you know it is what it is the one every, the one everyone's been asking for for 24 issues he doesn't actually show up you know who I'm talking about. The one with the cameo in the next issue? No, the other green guy. Oh, oh, the Hulk, of course. Yeah. Why why didn't that happen? Well, Hulk was never on the Avengers in this era of comics, so that wouldn't have uh, that wouldn't have worked. Maybe he's a little too strong. On the cover, the guy, for those of you who only know the MCU, uh, the guy in the middle, the small one with the yellow and black costume is a yellow jacket, who was actually the villain in Ant-Man 1. But in the right. comics, that's not who he is. He's actually Hank Pym. Ant-Man, uh, the original Ant-Man, went by the name Yellow Jacket in this time. Okay, that makes sense. I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, and then so and at this point, he's married to the Wasp, and uh, the original Wasp, the one who's in the movies, who's stuck in the quantum zone, or the quantum realm. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed that uh, Scarlet Witch and Captain America were, you see them briefly and they don't go anywhere. They don't actually join the fight. Yeah, I wasn't sure why. Uh, well, Thor says you guys can't fly, so you guys stay here. <laughs> yeah. 
I guess maybe they aren't as helpful characters uh, battling guess, a giant monster. I guess in the 70s, Scarlet Witch wasn't as uber powerful as they made her in recent years. Yeah, WandaVision. not much. It's true. And yeah, so, But I think that uh, they could have still helped in some way. But um, one other thing that happens behind the scenes with a lot of comics is that uh, when one writer... Um, when one writer wants to use the characters, he he or she would typically go to the writer of the book, the other book, and say, "Hey, can I use your characters in my story here? If I do this, will it mess up what you're doing?" And so it could be that maybe um, they just they wanted to save Captain America for something else. And um, the editor even makes a point to say that this story takes place before a different story. Which has a roster shakeup yeah. amongst the Avengers, apparently. Which I don't know much about. I don't know if you do, but yeah, the government came in and told the Avengers kind of how to do their thing, and that kind of made the Avengers angry. Um, they there was a big shakeup, and I think that was Jim Shooter, who was the editor of in chief at the time of Marvel Comics. I think that was him that was writing that story. I can't remember exactly. Okay, so I'm gonna mention my favorite moment. Okay, when J. Jonah Jameson shows up <laughs> yes. and starts ranting and ranting, doesn't notice Godzilla's behind him, and then turns around and instead of blowing away with his atomic breath, he just breathes hot air into the building and knocks him over. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla basically told him to shut up. <laughs> so, so tell me because of course you've seen every Godzilla movie. Is there a moment in like every movie where somebody's where where they're standing in the window and the big eye of Godzilla is behind them and they turn around and they're freaked out? Um, not every movie, but there's a few where it's there is a specific moment and it's pretty memorable. There's one I'll mention. It's in the film Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, where um, a Japanese soldier who knew Godzilla when he was a dinosaur in the 1940s meets Godzilla again in the 1990s when Godzilla is now mutated into Godzilla and they share a moment looking at each other through the window <laughs> before Godzilla basically says, "Ah, oh, the heck with it and blows him away. I remember the scene in Jurassic Park 2 where the boy wakes up and sees dinosaur at his window, I think it is, and um, and then wanders over to his parents' room and is like, there's a dinosaur in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, that moment is great. J. Jonah Jameson is portrayed exactly how he should be. He's right on. The drawing is, is great. He looks exactly like how he, how he should look as well. And when I'm reading this, I'm pumped because it's like, oh, if he's here, Spider-Man's going to show up at some point too. So... <laughs> He does, yeah, because he does mention he does mention Peter Parker. Yep. So you you know like they're gonna they're gonna bring him in with somehow some way. Well, of course they can't get a hold of him. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's on the he's on his way. He's he's gonna be he's gonna swing in at the last minute and help everybody or something like that. Uh, this is a great issue too. It's just like it, everything has been building to this point, and like we literally started off really small. And they have gradually, not just in, in terms of Godzilla's size getting bigger and bigger, but the stakes have been getting bigger and bigger. And I really feel like at this point, this is this is what everything in this entire series has been building to. A rampage through the city that is the most important New York City. And everybody is running away. The, the army doesn't know what to do. And like the stakes are high. This, I feel, is like what we've came here for all this way. Yeah, I mean, we have S.H.I.E.L.D., the Avengers, and the Fantastic. Fantastic Four, all fighting Godzilla. I mean, this makes me want to see Godzilla in one of the MCU films. Yeah. I know it's never going to happen in a billion years, but this makes me want to see it. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be so That would be really cool. Yeah. Okay. So uh, do you have anything more you want to say about this issue? I, I do love how Thor lets Godzilla have it right in the face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
but no more for this issue. Let's move on to our last one. Yeah, last issue, number 24. Love the cover. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cover art. Yeah. Walking off into the sunset, which is a good sing- signal to know that this is the last issue. Yeah, it screams last issue. Absolutely. This one is called, And Lo, A Child Shall Lead Them. Mm, so we know who's instrumental with this episode, uh, this issue. Yep, that's for sure. This is the climax. This is everything that that we've been hoping for. Giant battle with a whole ton of superheroes. The Fantastic Four and the Avengers are on hand to, to take down Godzilla, who's making his way toward the highest building he can see, which is the Empire State Building. Um, I love the little touches like Iron Man saving people from from buildings that have caught fire. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson is still doing his thing. Thor, um, Thor pushing back on the building as Godzilla's trying to push on oh it. Oh man, great scene. It's like That's cool. We saw Hercules in issue number three pick up Godzilla by the heel and give him a toss. So we know what kind of strength Thor has compared to Godzilla, but to see them like pushing against this building, and, and Thor is doing it with one hand because he has to twirl his hammer so he can stay in the air uh, with his other hand. <laughs> And but that's get, just how strong he is. That's right. And then we get this massive double page spread right in the middle, which is a great place for a double page spread because God, you don't have to gorgeous. worry about the pages, the page turns, the page folds. But yeah, all of the heroes are in this one page. Uh, you can see all of them, yeah. Except for is where? Except for Thor, he's on the other side of the building. But you got Vision flying through his dorsal fin. Yep, that's cool. Yeah, all four of the Fantastic Four: Iron Man, Yellow Jacket, and Wasp are there, plus the Shield Helicarriers, like everything all in one it's just a an amazing picture and then godzilla's massive in this yeah he is uh, apparently he's a lot more um violent in these last two issues because he's so disoriented which is a great excuse for making him just wreak havoc it's nice and little rob saying over and over again you can't uh, shooting him will just make him well you can't calm him down by shooting him <laughs> and dum dum uh dum dum now tells him just to stop He's like, I want you out of here. Get out. Yeah. And he tells him if he does, he tells him if he doesn't stop, he, he's gonna put him over his knee. <laughs> so everybody's done with Rob. Yep. He says, shut up your whining, little brat. <laughs> but what that does is allow Rob to sneak out while no one's looking because everyone is trying to ignore him as much as possible. So he sneaks he's out to the, into the helicarrier to try and communicate with Godzilla. And here's the moment that was set up in Devil Dinosaur because we got, there was one scene where Godzilla had a flash when he saw Moon Boy, and in particular Moon Boy's right. relationship to Devil Dinosaur, he saw little Rob. And that's going to play here because now he's reminded that little Rob is his friend. He even picks him up. Picks him up in his hand. Yeah. Which everyone's not sure about, but it happens. Between two of his fingers, very gently. And now we we see Rob talking to Godzilla the same way that Moon Boy talked to Devil Dinosaur, giving him instructions and Godzilla actually following through with those instructions. And we get one last hero. This is great. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man shows up a little too late. He just says, oops, appears like I'm a little too late to crash this party. And it looks like this was a class A butte. And then he swims away. Three panels, I bet, the picture, I bet the picture he took was the best one Jameson's getting. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just what Parker does. Well, it's a great shot. <laughs> an aerial view of the uh, of, of Godzilla over the city. It's going to be perfect. I was, even as a kid, and I didn't know a lot of these characters, I was happy to see Spider-Man. 
Yeah, I would have loved to see him be part of the action, but he's also one of those characters that's a little out of the, the class range of uh, Godzilla. Yeah, what could Spidey really do to Godzilla? And then Godzilla walks into the water and disappears from view. Now, this is interesting because he's on the East Coast, so I'm not sure like um, where's... Now he's Europe's problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's he going <laughs> sorry sorry italy <laughs> oh man but this is it's great the the final words come from uh from from rob there are y'all satisfied now you can all go home godzilla's gone godzilla's gone for good how and does he know that because he told him to go and godzilla's gonna listen to him <laughs> But he walks off into the sunset. It's little Rob instead of Godzilla who walks off into the sunset in this issue. And it ends. We have a little end um, note. At, and that's it. Like, there's an actual ending to this book. Things are tied up. Yeah. It, it had a says, massive Finn. battle and then it was over. Yeah. But the editor in the letters page right after this never says things are over. Right. It's true. I wonder if until the last minute they were hoping that they would still be able to uh, keep things going. Because he says Godzilla is gone for good but Godzilla's never gone for good it doesn't mean he can't come back yep so they tried it to bring him back didn't they in certain creative ways so yeah that's something I wanted to talk about here because we're and we're not going to review these issues in depth but um, they they definitely did lose the license because they brought Godzilla back a couple years later but under a different name uh, well actually I don't think they give him a name at all and uh, they give him a different look so in the pages of Iron Man 193, uh, this can be found in Iron Man Epic Collection number 11 called Duel of Iron. Uh, there's a story that deals with Dr. Demonicus. So he, so he does come back. He does come back. Iron Man is part of the West Coast Avengers right now. And so they're on they're on the West Coast and Godzilla comes up out of the water. So he's made it all the way back to the Pacific. I guess he took the Panama Canal or the Northwest Passage or something. And he uh, he made his way all the way back. And he's on the coast of California. And Dr. Demonicus, he's back and he's actually somehow hypnotized Godzilla and used his crazy radiation to mutate Godzilla so he looks different. They never call him Godzilla. I think Dr. Demonicus just refers to him as the beast or something like that. But um, he's it's definitely playing on the same sort of tropes as, as before. He's got his fire breath and, and everything. But uh, that's just a, a short little story that doesn't really have any bearing other than just the fact that they wanted to bring back Dr. Demonicus, I bet. But oh, is, probably, yeah. Yeah, this is 1985. And then a couple months after that, he appears again in Thing number 31, uh, where Thing is... is is a, making a movie he's an actor in a movie about devil dinosaur oh. and godzilla comes out of the water recognizes devil dinosaur but the robot which has some sort of artificial intelligence uh starts attacking godzilla they have like a a, a two or three page fight and then, he, and then godzilla goes back into the water it's a pointless cameo i don't know why they put it in there but they did you know in the mid to late 80s godzilla kind of had a small resurgence in this country because in 1985, the movie called Godzilla 1985 was released here. Okay. So, and that was the first Godzilla film for a, for like almost a decade. So I think maybe people wanted to cash in on that. It sounds like it's possible. That's what they were doing. That sounds like it. Yeah. yeah the timing certainly works out there. And the only thing is they didn't have the license to the character. So they couldn't full out make it a tie-in, which is unfortunate. Yeah. They yeah. weren't going to pay for the license for one issue. 
Certainly not. Yeah, exactly. And what the the last thing I wanted to bring up is that Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham number eight, has a Godzilla parody, and this is 1986, probably also because of the movie. I would imagine. Yeah, that definitely that definitely tracks. But um, it's it's actually a pretty fun parody if you get a chance to read it. Hogzilla comes out of the ocean and is running amok, and it basically plays itself out like a uh, like a Godzilla movie. And he faces nice. off against a giant r- robot called Mechano Hogzilla, and <laughs> Spider Ham gets involved, and it's just fun. It's just a little eight eight or ten page story, but it's uh, it's worth mentioning because it's another classic appearance of Godzilla in Marvel comics. Gotta love Spider Ham. Yep. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our episode once again. Um, let me tell you, I didn't know what to expect going through these issues, but I'm sure glad I read them because they're actually quite a blast. They're fun. They're Very really fun. fun. I forgot how good they were. It's Like I yep. said last time, it's been a long time since I've read them. And they're not all good. There are definitely no, some missteps. I could do without the Cowboys. Yep. <laughs> but there's there's enough in here that, uh, and it's a short series. So it's like, it's worth reading if you can, if you get the chance, if you can find the book. Uh, especially those last few issues, once they start the shrinking story leading up to the end, I just thought like, holy cow, as a package, this, like you package this together as a nice graphic novel and it would be a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. I wish they could do that and in color this time. Yeah, I wish so too. Hopefully one day there will be a chance when these can be more easily accessible. But for now, you'll have to try the back issue bins or try that expensive Marvel Essentials book or find some less than legal ways online to to view these comics. Yeah, I posted the first half of this uh, podcast on my Godzilla Collectors group. And most of the comments I get were from people saying they'd love to read these, but the issues are that hard to find. Yeah, it's too bad. So you weren't wrong there. And I went I went checking on Amazon for that essential, uh, you know, everything, uh, the essential version of the comic. And there's one, it's like over a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So that's pricey too. Yep. And it's because these will not get reprinted. And so the, the people pe- people who are selling it know that. And they're like, okay, well, I'm going to jack up the price because if people want it, they'll pay for this. Especially when it's Godzilla. So what you've done for me, Mike, is you have inspired me to go and check out some of the old Godzilla movies because I have not seen any of the Toho classic movies at all. What I like to do then, I'll take a minute to recommend a handful of them for you and some readers, listeners, I mean. Yep. Who would like to check them out? Please do. I recommend, of course, the very first Godzilla movie known as Gojira or Godzilla King of the Monsters. Um, everyone should start with that one. I recommend King Kong versus Godzilla, of course. You really should see how that got started. I think the best of the original Godzilla series is called Mothra versus Godzilla okay. from 1964. In fact, my, my, my best recommendation is to get a hold of the Criterion Collection, uh, Godzilla Shower Collection. It's all 15 original Godzilla movies um, in one box set of Blu-rays. Um, you can get it on Amazon for $112, which is not much for 15 films. Yep. Um, I recommend that. Those are the most important Godzilla movies made by some of the most important uh, Japanese filmmakers of that era. So I recommend that. As for later Godzilla movies... 
Godzilla versus Destroya. I don't think that's a great film, but it's very interesting. Uh, it was made in 1995. I recommend another film called um, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. Okay. That was made in 2001. And even though it isn't a favorite of mine, if you want to see something really different, go check out Shin Godzilla. It's gotten a lot of praise. It's won a lot of awards in Japan. It mm-hmm. was a huge moneymaker. Um, and it brought Godzilla back after a st- very stagnant, like, 10-year hiatus. I don't love it, but people swear by it, so I recommend that one if you check that out, too. And, of course, there's a Legendary Pictures Godzilla films. Kind of dumb, but they're really enjoyable. I haven't seen Godzilla vs. Kong yet, because as we're recording this, it's not out. But it looks like it should be a lot of fun. Totally. I think so, too. I think it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, I will uh, check those out. The Criterion ones, I know that um, like Barnes & Noble has their usually has a Criterion half-off sale every once in a while. So maybe I'll see if I can uh, Whenever copy. Barnes & Noble has that Criterion sale, Amazon usually matches it. Perfect. <laughs> so regardless, Amazon is probably the way to go. It's $112 usually on Amazon, yep. which again, 15 films, that's pretty good. Yeah, for Blu-ray, that's that's amazing. Yes, I was eyeing that set just because the packaging looks so nice too. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice set. It's big. The thing is like a coffee table book, oh, but wow. it's really good. Nice. Okay, well, let's sign off. Let's plug our shows and uh, say goodnight to everybody. Uh, Tell us about the Darkwing Duck podcast you have. Okay, so I co-host a podcast called The St. Canard Files, a Darkwing Duck podcast, where me and my co-host review every single episode of Darkwing Duck. We have interviews with people who worked on the show, uh, voice actors, just product reviews, and of course, episode-by-episode analysis. You can find it on literally all podcast apps. We're incredibly accessible. We're also on YouTube. So that would be the St. Canard Files, a Darkwing Duck podcast. And if you're interested in Godzilla, specifically Godzilla collecting, I'm the lead admin in the Godzilla Collectors group on Facebook. Um, So we welcome all new members who would like to talk about Godzilla collectibles. So that's where you can find me. Nice. And of course, I'm all over social media, epicmarvelpodcast.com, or just search for Epic Marvel Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, anywhere. Uh, You'll be able to find me. You can listen to all these episodes on whatever podcast app you like the best. And that's it. Yeah, I think the next uh, on the podcast, I'm going to take a little trek through some Captain America through the 60s and 70s. So you can stay tuned for those in in the coming weeks. And otherwise, thanks, Mike, for being part of these two episodes. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I know I learned a lot about Godzilla history, and I hope the people out there did too. And I just had fun talking about these comics with you. I can't think of a better person to be a part of these two episodes. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And we'll see everybody next time. And uh, we hope you enjoy the Godzilla movie when it comes out. Good night, everybody. Bye.